1987, Hulk Hogan shocked the world by body sliding Andre the Giant through the floor in Pontiac, Michigan at WrestleMania 3. And it's 1998 now. That was 1987. And the American dream lives on in Minnesota because we shocked the world. The Cho Cho Chosen One. You're listening to Main Event Status Radio. You started it. You want to go to war? You got a war. You started it. We gonna finish with Mr. Beverly Hills 90210. What is the fate of WCW? And I own WCW. The Dirty Dog Darcy. You wanna fight, man? You wanna fight? You got one. Only nobody tells me what to do, and Chico, nobody tells me when to do it. Now let's get into the podcast. Recorded live in Atlanta, Georgia. Recorded Live on top of the CNN Towers this week. This is Main Event Status Radio. I am the Dirty Dog, the Mind, Darcy. And joining <laughs> me is the one and only Mr. Beverly, the Body Hills. What's the happening, Mr. Beverly Hills? I'm the Jane Fonda to your Ted Turner. <laughs> I guess I'll take that, Gorilla. <laughs> Oh, thanks. I've, I appreciate that as well. That makes me feel very nice about myself. Just go <laughs> stuff a hot dog in your mouth, gorilla. Oh, my. Oh, <laughs> what do we want? Where'd that come from? I don't want to stuff anything in my mouth. <laughs> well, if you do, please wait until the podcast is over. <laughs> so we are back for our fourth installment of the, our Death of WCW series. Still in our part two, The Rise, we're on chapter four this week, 1998. The momentum is, mo- or momentum is money. So obviously, coming out in 1997, we saw Sting finally beat Hulk Hogan at Starcade. So Sting yeah. walked out in 97 in Starcade as WCW World Heavyweight Champion, walking in 98 as champion. As we did for last week, Mr. Beverly Hills, what do you remember anything from 1998 professional wrestling? Well, 98 was a huge year in my wrestling fandom, perhaps the biggest because, as I've probably annoyingly every week said, 1998 is the year that the Beverly Hills, I guess it could be Beverly Hillbillies, finally got a dish and finally was able to watch television (laughs) from cable channels. So in like September or October, we got a satellite and I was able to finally watch the Monday Night Wars. So um, yeah, huge year. I actually got to jump in on these 
uh, goings on that we'll be talking about today, and then the, in future weeks, I, I got to see them all. So, yeah. How about you, 1998? Because you guys got a satellite dish, daddy I have to throw, go old school with uh, <laughs> throw back that guy, or throw back Dr. Pepper and okay. pop it. Yeah, there you go. For Mr. Beverly Hills and Hills family. <laughs> but I don't at this time in 98, I did have cable. Towards the end of 98, I would be moving from Cambridge, where I grew up, to Malacca, where we didn't have cable. Okay. But I do remember some highlights of 98. Um, since we, aren't really, we really aren't going to talk about WWF, I do remember some of the build-up up to WrestleMania 14. I remember the... Yeah. Yeah, I shouldn't remember this because since I watched it last weekend, but that I think the that Thursday, sh- I think no, Saturday night show that WWF had wasn't Shotgun Saturday night, but they had a ring on the outdoor, I think in front of the government center in Boston, where uh, they had Stone Cold come out when after Michaels and Tyson were out in the ring when they challenged them, and at in the end Austin was tied up in the ropes and. Tyson and Michaels rock like they're gonna punch him, but Churn and both of them kissed him on top of his forehead. So I remember, you know, I vividly, vividly remember that. I remember the next night on on Raw, Austin walking out as champion, and me being a ten year old dirty dog, a dirty puppy, as one may say, <laughs> being angered that Stone Cold Steve Austin knocked off the top of the mountain the guy who I grew up idolizing, who. Who was I guess was the second was the second guy that kept or I guess was the guy who kept me into wrestling when it was Hulk Hogan that brought me to wrestling. Sure. Then I do remember you know Austin as champion, and I do remember which we'll talk about you know the the, the famous Goldberg versus versus Hogan match for, on Nitro during the summer. Yep. So I do kind of have some off and on memories of '98 wrestling, but I guess those are just my early thoughts. I can recollect all these years later <laughs> nice yeah 98 fifth and sixth grade year for the for the beverly hills is it it's a good year formative year in my life i recall actually <clears throat> this would work with 98 i'm i'm guessing i had <laughs> i brought a wrestling magazine to school wwf magazine and I remember during, like, silent reading time, I'd always try to find, like, a book that was big enough <laughs> that I could put the magazine in the middle and then read it. <laughs> it's the one, and I, I don't know if, I guess people who listen probably know this one. It's the one where DX are all, like, sitting on, um like, a military jeep, and it's, uh, and yeah. So that's, <laughs> yeah. now the question arises, Mister Beverly Hills, does Mister Hill still do that nowadays in school during silent <laughs> reading? <laughs> that is a question I have to ask, Corella. No comment. No comment. So I take that no comment as a yes, Bobby. <laughs> I can say. I have once or twice on my iPad read the uh, Brandon Stroud 
recaps on uprocks of Raw and old Nitros during silent reading time. It has happened, I will say. <laughs> May I say that's a great way to spend our government dollar, Gorilla. Oh, no, come on. I'm supposed to be your buddy. What are you doing? I said there was a great way, Gorilla. <laughs> yeah, I can sense the sarcasm dripping down your throat. There's that one, that's that sarcasm. That's my Dr. Pepper I just opened up. Jeez. Just trying to try to be nice and then he throws me in all wasting government dollars talk. What a butt munch. At least you're not a wasting government mule, mule Gorilla. All right, whatever. Let's get into 98 WCW. Talked about enough about WWF and fifth grade Beverly Hills. Let's do it. So my opening quote is kind of long. So yep. if you need to, Mr. Beverly Hills, please uh, cut me off or we can talk about it you know, in in parts. So Perfect. Perfect. I'll start it out. This is from page 127 to 128. The company was sky skyrocketing. WCW, that is. However... The lesson of the year was not learned until much later. Sadly, many in, re- many in wrestling have yet to learn it to this uh, to this day. And I would, uh, I'll jump in just because yeah. there's a natural break here. I would say that you could take out wrestling and you could put entertainment, you could put sports, you could put whatever. Okay. Yeah. Books, I don't know. Go ahead. The lesson is that when things are hot in pro wrestling... Promoters can do no wrong. Booking can be horrible. Matches can suck. Storylines can make no sense. TV shows and pay-per-views can be letdowns. Wrestlers, wrestlers can be falsely advertised, and none of it matters. Because it's hot, fans are going to spend money on the product. Of course, any damage done during this period eventually takes its toll. But to the promoters who live only for Tuesday morning Nelson rating, uh, television ratings... The only thing that matters is the moment. Unfortunately, a few years later, WCW would learn the other half of this lesson. When things are bad, promoters can do nothing right. Okay, and I didn't know if it, I didn't, I wasn't sure if at the end that was there, but it's totally true. The just as much as when things are going good, you can do nothing wrong. When things go bad, you can do everything right. And things can go super crappy. Like, when we look at, like, we're going to talk about politics later. <laughs> and you did your shock the world speech at the beginning. Like, we can, if you look at approval ratings, they're um, kind of a long range thing. When you look at, you know, politicians who are making, who have made, like, a really good decision and then they just follow it up with a pile of bad ones, it takes a long time before their approval ratings start going down. Likewise, if you have one who, you know, really kind of shot themselves in the foot, it takes a really long time to turn it around. And as we see, you know, WCW, they're so hot and like tickets are bought in advance, ad revenues are bought in advance that they're, making money hand over fist but the fact is their their decisions in 98 and, and even 97 a little bit are what lead to their eventual demise in 2000 2001 i think it'd be apropos to talk about this i know i i know somewhat of it i guess i've heard it heard about it 
But do you know anything about the Nelson television ratings? The ne- Nielsen. Nielsen. Yeah, my bad, Nielsen. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, so how it works? Yes, I do actually. So there are Nielsen boxes they send out to. Um, I don't know the exact number, but a they try to get a cross section of America, and um, basically it would just record your viewing for a given night, and by getting this cross section of America, whatever they can aggregate it and multiply it and try to get an approximate number of how many people watch a given episode. Okay. Um, and yeah. So I guess to kind of tie in with what you're saying about politics and ways it's take in ways is a, a sample set. Yeah, it, well, it is. It's like, just, just like any type of opinion poll or, um, popularity poll, whatever it's, ta- it's taking a small, a sample size and trying to space it out over a large area. Okay. Now, from from the quote, I guess I was kind of wondering, uh, what can we come up with any examples from either reading from the book or watching WCW, WCW back in the day or what's up on the WWE Network? Can we find any examples where WCW did not, I guess, learn their lessons on uh, hot-shotting angles and so on and so forth? Well, I mean, we'll get to it, but the and I added in this one. We'll get to it with like I think the replication of the NWO is a big, um, big example of this, where things were going right, so they thought, let's do what went right over and over, and and I know I'm always the one to say let's not talk about WWE, but now that I think about it, there version of this going back to the same thing that worked over and over again um Gila 30 figure yeah they they've went back to that you know it was so hot in 1998 same year here with Vince McMahon against Stone Cold Steve Austin they've tried that 20 times <laughs> like not even a joke right they've they've tried it all every year since then and it just isn't the same but yeah. yeah, well, I know we'll also kind of get to this early uh, later too. But I guess ways I feel like Goldberg versus Hogan for the world title on Nitro was another example. Yeah, since you know they really didn't, but I think advertise it at all. I think Saturday night at the earliest, or something like that. Well, we will talk about it later, so no big deal. Yeah, yep. I guess I got another quote from page one thirty one. The biggest mistake of all was that nothing changed. Ever, at first, that doesn't sound so bad. They made more money in one year than, or more, more the, they made more money in one year than the money they lost all the previous years put together. Why change anything? Yeah, and I just I said this to you too. Why, you know, that's a really good question, and it's tough. It's tough to change when things are going well. It really is, but. Sorry, when you are in a creative industry, you need to, or else you're doomed to eventual failure. You need to try to be on the cutting edge or you're going to lose because things change and people change, right? Yeah, I know. Uh, 
we talked about it last week on the podcast about our jobs, but I guess to kind of tie in with my job that if, let's say for me, you know, I get put in one spot and I'm, let's say, you know, over time I'll become really good at it. It's only fair to pull me away from that spot to let other people learn that spot and become good at it too for just in case if I get sick or I'm on vacation, other people can do that job too. Or, e- or even more so, it would be like, you're getting really good at that one position. Well, let's see if those skills that you've developed translate anywhere else. Maybe one that can eventually make the company more money. Oh. Like that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, you're doing really good at this one, like receiving. Let's put you over here in this maybe more difficult job and see if you can flourish there. And that's one of the things that WCW really missed the boat on was like never moving people around yeah. right like they have these um you know core six or seven guys who are um consistently tearing it up at the bottom of the card and they never move them they never see or try to see if those skills that they've developed can translate to a bigger role they're only you know, counting on the people who have done it for many years where, where maybe like in your job that we're talking about those guys that have been there for many years, they're slowing down. They're not doing it as well. They should be transitioned to something else just yeah. like WCW should have been doing. So I know the question, why change anything? The answer came in the next paragraph on page 131. And it came to, down to three simple words. Nothing is forever. As you were saying, um, I guess... You know, I had an idea. I know you don't want like fantasy booking, but <laughs> we were talking about last week about Hulk Hogan and the end of the NWO. Let's say WCW let Hulk Hogan out of his contract at the end of '97 at start losing at Star Kid, and I say let him go to the WWF. Therefore, thereby ending the NWO. Do you feel like that would? Let's say yeah, Steen was the guy that ended the NWO and sent Hogan packing and go back up north. How would that have? Would that have helped WCW out, kind of thereby ending the NWO and cutting off the head and, of the snake and letting the letting the head go? Maybe, but just there are other ways than just firing him. <laughs> True, yeah. There, there are just creative ways that they should have tried to do it. There's, I don't know. I don't know. Probably. What do you think? I don't know. I guess, well, yeah. But I guess I kind of thought, thought I heard that some... From somewhere that Hogan was wanted to go to the WWF at that time and be the one to drop the WWF title to Austin at WrestleMania 14, which, which I find absolutely silly because I don't know how we got that got to that point. But yeah. that's a different podcast on that we may or may not do. But I guess I I agree with what you said last week that would that would have been awesome to have start in '97. That would be the end of the NWO. And yeah. seeing Hogan be out on his own as a, as a heel by himself, and see how just see how that new fresh paint of or in the fresh paint on Hogan, see how that would have done. Mm-hmm. Instead of you know keep beating beating the drum of the NWO. Yeah, for sure. So uh, then in early ninety early ninety eight uh, in early January ninety eight, two major changes were were would come. Uh, first one would be WCW, WCW Thunder would debut, 
and the talent wasn't paid anything extra for it, the extra appearance. And WCW Nitro went to three hours on January 26th. Okay. I guess I want to bring those two points up and ask, asking you, I guess I feel like in Wiz, the book doesn't really, I guess it does talk, talk about it, but do you feel like, or do you, can, can you remember, do you feel like pro wrestling was hot enough to add, I guess, three more hours of WCW TV on hot cable, hot cable channels? That's that's the tricky thing because the answer is yes. They they were. People were willing to watch it. Um and as we saw, you know, from the edition of Thunder, which got fine ratings, and the eventual edition of SmackDown on Thursday nights, which got amazing ratings and ended up kicking Thunder over to Wednesdays, people were willing to watch it. The only problem is that you need to fill those hours. Yeah. You know, um, people, that's, you know, that's like an inherent thing. It's like, yeah, people will come and watch it, but what this now means is that you have to make TV for those hours. Which, and, we'll, which we'll be talking more in the following podcast, but yeah, continue. Yeah, it, and that's hard. Um, and, you know, creative minds are only so much. Um and you end up either, you know, falling out, falling back on you know, things that have worked in the past, kind of going to our theme here, or, you know, just filler stuff um, because they weren't, they didn't like bring extra creative help in or whatever. So it's the catch 22. People are willing to watch it, but what that means is you now have to fill it with new interesting stuff. Yeah, because so. I, I felt like if they're going to do either Nitro or uh, go have Nitro go three hours or Thunder, which was two hours, I felt like they should have done one of those sure. two, if not both, instead of burning, like you said, burning out the, the creative heads, burn out the pro wrestlers right away. Yeah, no, that you're, you're right. Probably one of those things would have been okay to ends up stretching it a little too much because think about all the... Think about all the programming they had to fill. Yeah, Three yeah. hours of Nitro, two hours of Thunder, two hours of Saturday Night, an hour of Worldwide. And then I don't even know if there's even more. Maybe uh, I don't know what happened to main international in stuff. I don't know. Yeah. So that's a lot, a lot of programming that you need to fill. So Then uh, I know uh, in page 136, we'll kind of after those notes that uh, Louis Piccoli was talked about on, you know, his death was, well, his death was talk, talked about how taking some uh, somnia pills or somnia pills and alcohol yep. and, all, and all that, I guess. I don't know really who who Louis Piccoli is. I know on what a maneuver, which we've talked about off and on, I know they were talking about him, but I have no recollection of who he is. Yeah, he was a he was a wrestler who gained popularity in ECW and also in Mexico, which I've never seen of any of his footage, but he had the awesome name of Madonna's boyfriend. Okay, I remember hearing something about him. <laughs> yeah, something about him. Now, now you mentioned that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I've you know, and Rad Radford was was Luis Piccoli in the WWF in '95 or '96. But, you know, I don't know a ton. I saw saw a little bit. Um, 
I've seen the little bit in 98 where he's working with uh, Scott Hall, which is entertaining stuff. But, yeah, I don't know. It's a heck of a business. Yeah, because I guess I just wanted to, you know, bring him up since, yeah, I really didn't know much about him. And and I just wanted to mention how, I guess, I think that's one tragedy tragedy about pro wrestling where, oh, yeah, that wrestlers had to go to outside things as in alcohol and drugs to deal with whatever whatever wrestlers had to deal with, you know, with the physical pain to being away from their family and always being on the road and mm-hmm. all that. I just feel that sad that, that wrestlers feel like they at times had to turn to that. Nope, that's certainly true. I got uh, my next note on page 139 the WCW, in regards to the WCW New Japan Pro Wrestling deal. The deal fell through mostly because Eric Bischoff went on one of his now trademark power trips. New Japan had an NWO stable and, Eric, and Bischoff decided to enforce a contract stipulation between the two sides that enabled him to choose who he or choose who could and who could not be considered a member. Keep in mind that there wasn't one casual or casual fan in the United States that would have any idea who was it was not in New Japan's NWO stable. I guess I wanted. I do remember like Great Muda and all that being in the NWO stable. I guess I kind of want to get your thoughts on New Japan's NWO stable and Bischoff's quote-unquote power trips. Um, you know, I see it both ways. Uh, I see it on the one hand that, yeah, who, who would care? But on the same hand, like, it is his intellectual property. Like, what if they, if they were like, um, we're going to put the, the 1998 equivalent of Hornswoggle in the Japan and <laughs> group and you don't get and whatever it's Japan no one cares well that's kind of watering it down and now eventually he does that himself <laughs> in, in I was WCW just to see how Bischoff <laughs> did water it down on his, his end oh yeah too. 100% but so I see I see it both ways I see it that like wanting to um you know wanting to keep it how how you envision it like that's important but on the same hand I do see what they're saying where it's kind of like eh who cares but I don't know yeah well, I guess you know I agree with you on that I see it both ways but it is what it is yeah and I guess it was what it was yeah right uh, my next <laughs> quote's from page 143 but it was something outside of the outside the company that that month, that changed WCW's fortunes forever in regards to the month of March. On 1 March 29th, Steve Austin beat Shawn Michaels to win the World Wrestling Federation Championship at WrestleMania 14. Austin's rise to the title immediately affected the ratings war. The crowding of Austin would lead the WWF into their biggest glory period ever, a period that would ultimately result, just three short years later, in the end of WCW. Yeah, that's from one, page one forty-three. I guess we've been, been be, beating this drum on WCW should build up new stars, and I guess I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on the build-up of Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels passing the torch to him at WrestleMania fourteen. 
Well, let's be honest. That was a forced thing. You know, it's not like you, if Michaels would have been uh, fit and, you know, not to the point where he had to temporarily retire that he would have done that. You know, that's, that's uh, I think, you know, you know, uh, winners write the history books. WWF gets to write the the history here that they were the one to find the new star and they were the one to pass the torch and they were the one to do all the right things. I look at 97. That wasn't exactly a great year. That was, you know, um Michael's showing his butthole on TV and and stuff like that. But all that aside, um, of course, WCW should have been promoting new uh, main event stars. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess to your point about Austin, at least the at least the WWF was willing to try and give it to a new guy on, you know, tying the rock to his back and let him go. See what happens. I don't I, like. Yeah. I said I watched WrestleMania 14 last week, and and Austin was over uh, at, at, oh, the yeah. bo- at, bo- at Boston that night. That when mm-hmm. I, you know. Before the main event, how they showed the wrestlers backstage walking to up to the gorilla position to walk out, and when the fans saw Austin walking up, they popped. When the glass shattered, everybody jumped to their feet. And that, that was yeah, but coming, have go ahead. That, that was coming off of the Undertaker Cade match, which I felt was decent looking back at it now, and it seemed like the fans were into that match too for the most part. But I guess. You know, we've been kind of talking about this before, but I guess the ways I give WWF credit on at least trying to give Austin a chance, even though, like you said, you know, Michaels had a back injury that he needed to take some time off for a while. So they thought, they, you know, give, let Michaels, write Michaels off and give a new guy a chance. Yeah, have you watched 98 Goldberg, though? He was getting just as big of pops as Austin. You're such a WWF guy. You just, uh, they, can, they can't do anything wrong. I, I, I don't am, know why we're doing this series. That's, that's you just, you're a WWF guy. I will agree. I am a WWF guy to the bone. I remember during this time Gosh. in school that I hated, hated when my friends always said they would rather watch WCW Nitro over WWF Raw. And to to uh, read my own bell, look who won. Then why are we doing this? Because I love you, Mr. <laughs> Beverly Hills. If it's, I guess that's why, I think this is why Alvarez wrote it, was because he hated WCW and he wanted to really like rub it in. But like, I don't know. Well, I guess, I don't know, whatever. We can just go to our next point. Uh, <laughs> what's your thoughts on the... Flair situation of quote unquote no showing the thunder tape and to reform the horseman for oh for reads his what his son's reads freestyle wrestling championships. I yeah I don't know a ton about that one. Okay, yeah, I know I well I guess we get more into it, but to my understanding in the book that Flair let Bischoff and whoever else know that he needed to take some time off or to attend his. Son reads his wrestling championships and all that, and so it seemed like there was some miscommunication on both ends. And WCW wanted Flair to come to Thunder and reform the Horseman when Flair said that he put in a request for time off because he wanted to be with his family. 
Yeah, I, if that's the case, then I guess it's on WCW. I don't know the real story of that one. By that time, those Flair and, and WCW had such a toxic relationship from all accounts that uh, just I don't even know what would salvage that. Then right around the same, you know, right around those paragraphs that it seemed like right around then, WCW started to rewrite television while it's, while, while it's alive. Yes. What's your thoughts on Bischoff or whoever was the head not being not being set on one I guess one script and having to rewrite everything while it's happening? Yeah, that's insane. That's uh, that just is like nearly inexcusable that it was being written while it was on the air. That's out of control. Yeah, your thoughts? Yeah, I just I I know we don't want to compare it much to WWE, but. WWE is doing that a lot nowadays, but oh, are they? But I just find I find that to be silly because I guess I don't know on the performers and how they can go out and give their best to and uh, their segment when they don't know for sure what they're doing until they get booted out of the curtain. Say, okay, go do this. Right. You know that yeah. It's like that. WCW was, you know, didn't expect they had have had any long-term plans set in stone. Mm-hmm. And they were just like booking it week to week, and booking it week to week is only going to, guess, shoot, itself in the, shoot, shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah. Well, not even week to week, like minute to minute. Yeah. <laughs> right? Second to That's second even crazier, like yeah. Oh, yeah, I can't imagine, like, not knowing what I'm going to do like until minutes before going outside the curtain. That's crazy. Well, actually, I'm sure, you know, for you being a teacher, I'm sure it'd be hard for you to go teach a class when you don't know what you're going to teach about until minutes before class starts. Yeah. 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 There's an element of flexibility, but I couldn't imagine someone just like, if I'm getting ready for like my history class and then somebody comes in five minutes before and goes today doing a lesson on like macroeconomics, <laughs> like something completely different, like, Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I couldn't imagine that, that type of thing. So no, I, that's, that's pure craziness. I want to get your thoughts on transitional, transitional champions as in at uh, spring stamp P98. Raven won the U.S. title from DDP, then lost it to Goldberg in the next night on Nitro, and Savage won the WCW, WCW title from Stain, and then on the next night lost the title to Hogan. Um, I am not against... Well, okay, let me rephrase. First off, transitional champions are fine. They should not be one night. I think that's condensed too much. Um, I think the Raven one going from DDP to Goldberg, I'm fine with. I'm totally okay with that because they want to keep DDP looking good for the next six months and, you know, into the next couple of years. Um, but Goldberg was the hottest person in WCW and they needed to get a title on him. I'm completely all right with that. Um, the other one I'm not as good with just as I think like, uh, you know, sting man stings, uh, title run there was cursed from the beginning. 
<laughs> ever since that that bad uh, change at Starcade '97, and then I think the guy who beats him for it only holding it for one month really like makes him look bad. Yeah, that, um, in the to, end, to me, I guess I don't know if this says more about me, but to me, I feel, feel like it also hurts the world title to have two title yeah. switches within 24 hours. Definitely. It, it definitely does. Because to me, it feels like it, it hurts the credibility of the world title, which, which you know, as a fan, I want to see wrestlers compete for titles, especially for the world title mm-hmm. for their division. And yep. to me, you know, it, you know, title changes happen all the time, then what's the point? Yep. And I mean, like, the th- yeah, and that's the thing with, like, um, titles is that titles are only as good as you make them. You know, they, they as well as wrestling is in general, are a fictitious thing. So you need to put the honor and the prestige behind it. And when you tell me that it's worth nothing... Then it's worth nothing. No. <laughs> so, so like, yes, bouncing them around, ping ponging them, it it ends up hurting you in the long run. And and you know, like I said, sometimes that's okay when you like, all right, well, I need to get, we need to get this one to this guy. Um, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Well, yeah, I do agree with you. I do agree with you on transition the U.S. title from DDP to Raven to Goldberg to keep DDP out because you're still going to build up DDP. And, over the summer, yeah. Yeah, over the summer. And I, I feel like Goldberg beating Raven for the U.S. title, I guess, gives Goldberg another – puts another fe- uh, feather in Goldberg's hat in a way since Raven was built up – I feel like it was strong when he since he debuted on WCW Nitro on yeah and on Raven being, I guess in a way it's like Raven was built as a upper mid carder if not a, mm-hmm. a lower mid eventer when he started yeah. on WCW that he was something special. Yeah, well, and actually, I think Raven is the perfect character for that because like his character is like a depressed person, so having him be like, oh God, well I finally. You know, I I won it, and then one night later, I lose it. Everybody's against me. What about me? What about Raven? You know, that kind of stuff. It really plays into his character as being kind of like a whiny person. Uh, so, yeah. I guess I want to also get your thoughts on the television title, where when WCW was changed the television title from Booker T to Benoit and back on house shows and never acknowledging it on TV. Yeah, well, that that <clears throat> that goes again with the idea of making it worth something, and I guess this one goes more to the fact of like uh, of just house shows in general. And if I go to a house show and I see something that I think is really cool happen, I'd like to see that on TV. Right. And, and I've never been to a house show. I know you have. If something happened on that house show that you thought was like really amazing, like a title switch, it'd probably be a pretty big letdown to see that that wasn't acknowledged on TV. Am I right? Yeah. Well, I say even now, I'd say if WWE came, I know they haven't been in the St. Cloud in years, but let's say 
They're coming Wait. to Bemidji this summer. Are they? Yeah. That's that's like three hours away. But oh, let, 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 let's just say I go to a house show and let's say they had, I don't know, Ryback with the Intercontinental title. And let's okay, say yeah. some of who, who, me and whoever else was at the house show take took pictures of it, put it up on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, and on Raw the following Monday... You know, White the Barrett, guy that he beat or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Wade Barrett or whoever he beat was the Intercontinental Champion again. And let's say he beat Ryback again in another house show the night after. They don't even mm-hmm. acknowledge the title switch. Yeah. Then why Why do it? Well, and like, I guess my, yeah, and my point, my question to you is, wouldn't you kind of feel like foolish or just kind of like, oh, to, Oh, well, I guess that didn't matter, right? Yeah, to me, I would feel like it, it was a waste of my money on buying the ticket. It was a waste of my time to buy that ticket, go to the show, you know, be at the show and coming back and taking time to put it up on social media. Yeah. Like, hey, this is what happened. Tune yeah, I think like, right, sorry. I think like it's the, like, I'd feel like a fool for being excited over it. Like, oh my gosh, I saw something so cool. And then just to be like, oh. Well, I guess it didn't matter. <laughs> you know, that that could be disappointing. Yeah. I guess uh, I want to get into the Flair lawsuit and countersuit and all that. Um, I'm not fully certain on, well, I should know since I read the chapter, but do you know what the initial suit, the WCW file against Flair? I think it had to do with that no-show that you were talking about before. Okay, then do you know offhand what Flair's countersuit was? Not a clue. Okay. Because, like I said, I read the chapter, but I don't remember them really saying anything about yeah, it. I, I don't recall. But I guess what's your thoughts on Flair getting himself back into a ring shape but not being put on WCW TV and all that uh, lawsuit, countersuit stuff that they had? Uh, I mean, like, again, it just goes to how bad of a relationship Ric Flair had with the WCW at this point that just like oh gosh they're they're just so so against each other in by the end of WCW and I can't believe they just kept working with each other I guess it's the idea that WCW doesn't want him to go over to WWF but like wow at this point is it not more harm than good to have him yeah because I don't uh, in the book they mentioned that Flair was interested, and I think in talks with the WWF to come in as a top heel to go against Austin. I think Flair always wanted a title shot against Austin at SummerSlam, I think, 98. And I know Triple H was against it, even though Triple H buddy-buddied with him a few years later. Right. I know. Then it said that in the book that Bischoff was made aware of Flair talking to the WWF, or at least interested in going back to the WWF. So Bischoff was willing to drop the lawsuit if Flair was willing to drop his counter suit and was willing to try to work things out with Flair. Gosh, I just can't, like, I don't know. They kept, like, dogging Flair and burying him on TV and, you know, eventually in 99, 2000, he's in his underwear, he's in a, a mental hospital. Like, why would you want to keep going to work at that rate? Like I said, I do remember hearing in interviews with Flair, reading in Flair's book that yeah, that he was depressed at that time, and if you, yeah, if your if the your employer beats you down like that, why not just yeah, put in your two week or whatever you had to do, and yeah, I don't know if it's and, that easy, but yeah, if it, if it was <laughs> but, that easy, yeah, but at, at the same rate, like 
if you're the one in power of WCW, if all you're going to use him for is just, just to like uh, jerk him around, what's the point there? Why do you care enough to have that? Yeah, you know, like, if you're gonna make him a comedy joke, then yeah, why have him? Yeah, I just don't get it. Then uh, one thing that I kind of want to talk to you about too is WCW signing Dennis Rodman, Carbolone, just like you know, a year before signing. Uh, yeah, Dennis Rodman. Rodman, yeah. yeah. Then I guess also I want to get your thoughts on, I guess, the popularity of Carl Malone and WCW signing the Warrior. Okay. Um, Malone was very popular at the time. Um, I, I wonder if it's going to the well one too many times uh, with the basketball player thing. I guess it had been a year, so eh, that's fine, I suppose. The subsequent Dennis Rodman uses are more the bad ones, but um, I don't know. It I don't know. It's probably okay this time. Um, well, like, like, we'll get we'll get to we'll get to the the summer '98 ones and my thoughts on the celebrity use here in a second. Well, yeah, I guess I feel like you know why I keep going to the. It's understandable if you draw money, but what you know with bringing a celebrity, why keep going to the well because you're gonna run it dry. Sooner, sooner rather than later. Yeah, but I know uh, during this time they had multiple variations of the NWO factions. Yes, and you know they had NWO Black and White led by Hogan, then NWO yeah. Red and Black red led by Nash. Then they had the LWO Latino World Order led by Eddie Guerrero. They're my favorite. Then. Then you Okay, go ahead. Then you had on uh, the silver and black in 2000, which we'll get. Yeah, that came eventually, yep. Then the WWE version and the, <laughs> then the New Japan version and TNA version and whatever. <laughs> Almost. Um, I just find it silly that they're watering down, ways watering down the NWO factions. Yeah, it's just like, uh, it's so frustrating because it's like, why does there need to be, why does everybody need to be a version of the NWO? Because we have like the heel version of NWO, the face version of w- of NWO, the cruiserweight version of NWO, the Japanese version of NWO. Why can't everybody be their own group? Why do they have to be just like offshoots of this big conglomerate? It's crazy. Also, It's too much of a good thing. Also, you can't forget about... The warrior version of the NWO. Oh, gosh. The one warrior nation. Which I was surprised. I forgot. Then again, I don't don't blame myself for forgetting about Beefcake being a part of the one warrior nation. <laughs> That's right. Converted the disciple. And it made me laugh, too, that <laughs> oh, supposedly warrior. I totally forgotten that. That supposedly warrior somehow was able to get... Get the disciple from the rid up to the rafters, and when he was hugging a blow up doll up in the rafters or something like that. I don't remember anything of that. I don't want to see footage of that because he had got because like he he was down. <laughs> yeah, if if it all would have been like above board, he would have gotten disciple up into the rafters in like thirty seconds. 
Because like it was like a pre-tape of him with the disciple, and then all of a sudden he's up in the rafters with him. <laughs> oh, amazing. Oh my god, I can't believe I forgot that. The warrior was such a bad idea. Oh, which such a bad idea. Which we'll idea. talk about later. On July 6th edition of Monday Nitro, Goldberg beat Hogan for the title. It drew a 4.93 rating to Ross 4.0 that night. I guess I want to get your thoughts on WCW. Anyways, I feel like WCW hot shot Goldberg. I know that I do remember watching Nitro that night, and, and, and I hated Goldberg up to that point. And I remember cheering with my brothers that night when Goldberg fought Hogan and finally beat him. Because I remember that night Goldberg, I think yeah, Goldberg made challenge Hogan for the title, and Hogan said, "Only way you have a shot against me tonight on Nitro is that if you beat, if you defend your United States title against Scott Hall and beat him first, right? That if you do that, then you can, then you can face me." And I remember, you know, to your surprise, Mister Beverly Hills, Daddy Sunshine, Brother Nate, and I. Turned that channel over to TNT and watched Monday Nitro because we wanted to see Goldberg finally beat Hogan. And I remember how excited we all were, how truly happy I was to see Goldberg overcome Hulk Hogan. Uh Uh-huh. No, yeah, it works. It it really did work. And I don't, you know, I'm I'm not sure I feel on the the hot-shotting thing. Yeah, they lost money on what could be a pay-per-view main event. That's true. But they did fill the Georgia Dome. They did, you know, get it, get it that way. But you're you're probably right that they should have saved that. But at the so at the same point, man, that was a huge event. Yeah, huge you, event. Think of it. Do you think they could have drug the Goldberg storyline to Starcade and have Hulk, Goldberg finally beat? Hogan for the title at Starcade that year? No, that's that's too much. That's too, much? too long of one. Okay. Just because I think, the, uh, yeah, it's okay. just like that too much of a go- good thing. I think it worked really well with Sting. I don't know if it would have been the same with Goldberg. Well, Mostly yeah. because, you know, Goldberg is, is and was just kind of limited in his interview ability. His strength was coming out and beating guys' asses. So, like... Having his story be well, you got to beat Scott Hall, then you got to beat Hogan, and now he's the champion. I think is how the the Goldberg story should happen. I guess in turn, if they would have tried to do that on pay per view, that said, hey, we may have a main event, we may not. Yeah, but I mean, if you could do it in a month because you could do. He has to run through a gauntlet in the three subsequent subsequent weeks. But I guess and then he gets Hogan at the at the pay per view. Yeah, I guess I, I thought about that at work this past week and, and all that. I guess uh, you know, think about it now. Talk, you know, hearing your thoughts. I guess I agree with. I do agree with you on. I think that then was a good time. I thought they should have, I guess, built it up better, advertised it better than what they did. Yeah, but that, it was it was quite the event. Yeah, then I, I guess I also want to get your thoughts on after Goldberg won the world title. From Hollywood Hogan, Goldberg, guess what? Played second fiddle to Hogan. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, at the Bash of the Beach and Roll Wild pay-per-views, and, you know, you sent, sent in, you know, added notes of the Bash, they were, yeah. Bashes and the Road Wilds made events, which was, at the Bash, it was Hogan and Rodman taking on DDP and Malone, and at Road Wild, it was Hogan and Bischoff taking on DDP and Jay Leno. I don't think they should have had a celebrity main event in both of those in um, two months next to each other. That just seems foolish because, like, you got to space those out because they're both really big deals that get main, like mainstream um, attention. Why would you have those month back to back? Why wouldn't you do the the Leno one later in the year? At I ha- get at Halloween Havoc or World War yeah, Three or Star right. Kid or something. Yeah. It out. Yeah, because I get doing the Rodman one in the summer because you have to because that's the basketball off season. Um, and, he, but, and, they, and they did it the year before too with Rodman. Yep, mm, yep. But the other one you got to do some other time. I guess the real reason, the behind the scenes reason, is that Jay Leno wanted to ride his motorcycle to Road Wild, so that's why he had to appear there. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I was <laughs> when I was reading this morning, I was like, "Man, Roadwells was such a disaster because they never drew any money." I don't know why they didn't like go to Rapid City, which isn't really that far away. They could still like theme it as Roadwild. They could still do stuff at the motorcycle rally. The motorcycle rally has stuff at the. Oh, I don't know what it's called, like the Rushmore Event Center or something. It holds 10,000 people. I don't know why they didn't just have it there. Then they could at least make money because as it was, they didn't make any money at it because it was a free event. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Well, yeah, WCW's booking, I think that time was kind of silly. I guess to tie in with the initial quote that I, I you know, brought, up, brought in for the podcast, I feel like, you know, like what you said with uh, bringing in celebrities in two back-to-back pay-per-views, I felt like, in ways, I feel like that's kind of kind of a small hole, but I feel like that's a hole in the armor that was WCW that may have started to started to bring the big ship down. Okay, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. So I guess Spell- well, starting to throw throw around money definitely is a. Uh, was a was a big problem that led to the eventual demise, throwing around cash, bringing in celebrities two months in a row, you know, that kind of thing. Talking about throwing away the cash, yeah, my right. next quote on page 166, on, on August 17th in Hartford, Connecticut, right in the middle of WWF country, former WWF champion, the ultimate warrior, made his WCW debut pretty much out of nowhere. Actually... <laughs> Literally, out of nowhere, his gimmick <laughs> was that he could appear, disappear, at a, at will in a cloud <laughs> of smoke. Oh man, my favorite story of the warrior is how he got to still be called Warrior. Because he legally changed his name to Warrior. Like yes, yes. Like what is his first name? What is his last name? Warrior Warrior is his name. Is it? Yes. Or was, I guess, now that he's passed away. But yes. That's. I, I was going to pull a Lux Luger line and say, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's Warrior Warrior. <laughs> That's just silly. I think he wasn't the 
warrior. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. No, that's his name. So yeah, that's how he could use the name warrior. <laughs> I guess what's your thoughts on warrior making an appearance in WCW and picking his feud up back up with Hogan that they had earlier in the decade? Man, it was bad. It was bad. But I mean, like, I do think there was definitely a section of fans who was probably pretty pumped up to see Warrior Warrior come in and face off against against Hogan. Um, I mean, the only problem is they're both old and they both suck. (laughs) Yeah, to be honest, if I remember correctly, I, I, as a 10-year-old dirty puppy, dirty dog puppy, I was pretty excited to see Warrior in WCW. And I'm sure a lot of people were, but like the, the point is that they couldn't deliver on it. And also they had way too much freedom to do crazy ass crap. Like, uh, I gotta get it right. Like Hogan seeing warrior in the mirror and, you know, warrior appearing and disappearing out of smoke and, you know, crap like that. Yeah. (laughs) I guess I'll, I'll go to my next quote. Go ahead. Page More about the Warrior. Yeah, page from page 167. Warrior allegedly signed a $1 million deal to work roughly three shows per month, which of course had the locker room in an uproar as nearly everyone else was making a hell of a lot less to work a hell of a lot more. And everyone, in the, and everyone but Eric Bischoff seemed able to predict exactly what the future held. Warrior would have a shelf life of about, oh... Five or six weeks, and then it would be downhill from there. These people were sadly mistaken. His shelf, <laughs> his WCW shelf life was actually about three weeks. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's just, a, that's not like a hard and fasting. That's just when people started to kind of get bored with them. So, I don't know, but it's it's easy to say because, like, how many feuds would Warrior Warrior have? Basically, the only one that people are going to want to see is the one against Hogan. Um, then after that, yeah, then I can't see him face off against anybody else. And, and you know, his his shtick is just kind of, you know, just kind of old. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, to yeah, me, they should have been able to see that, I guess. It made me laugh that it made me laugh that his shelf life only lasted three weeks. And yeah. to me, I highly doubt that the million dollars WCW paid him was well was well paid for those three weeks worth of television. Yeah, oh, yeah, man, he was paid for a lot. But I guess on my uh, then on October nineteenth edition of Nitro, Jericho challenged DDP, which was confusing since he's been calling out Goldberg to a match. And I got another quote from page one seventy five. As it turned out. Goldberg, being very green to the business, was taking advice from the wrong people, namely men like Hogan and Nash. He was told uh, point blank that Jericho was, was way too small to feud with, and if he did so, he would kill his credibility. He told Bischoff to nix the program, and that was the end of that. At the moment, it was just another example of WCW putting the brakes on the ascension of someone who could potentially have become a major breakout star. Yeah. That's such a classic, like, Hogan thing. Like, if you ever read, you know, interviews, always his best friend 
is the new guy coming up. You know, my best friend, Bill Goldberg, brother. Or when he was in TNA, oh, my best friend, Abyss, brother. My best friend, Kurt Angle, brother. He always is buddies with the new guy so that he can get in their ear, manipulate them, whatever, whatever. Um, and eventually they're in his back pocket. Yeah. At least that's how it seems. I mean, I'm not there, but that's sure how it seems. I guess what, yeah, to me that it seems silly that, yeah, that I, I'm even surprised that Hulk even, even let Goldberg in, in as a main adventure, but then again, he knew he couldn't stop it. I think is the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, so the, the only thing he can do is instead bring him into the inner circle there, which I know before we started recording, I was making jokes with you about, you know, when, when do you, when do you call me on Skype? And all that, that I answer like I'm willing to. I'm, I'm willing to. Yeah. yeah. I'm willing to like. I'm willing to give you the win, brother. But I expect you to get my win back at <laughs> Starcade, brother. Yeah. And that seemed like it, to me. I, I felt like it was a joke that I can see Hogan. Will I thought I read either in the book or somewhere heard somewhere else that Hogan was willing to drop the title to Goldberg on that Nitro, but wanted to get his win back at Starcade. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was. Funny, I guess I want to get your thoughts on Goldberg listening to Hogan and Nash and not wanting to do business with Jericho because it seems, well, I guess, like you said, you know, a revisionist history, but it seemed like the Jericho feud with, or the quote unquote feud with Goldberg was starting to catch on with the WCW crowd at that time. Yeah. What's your question? Sorry, can I guess, you repeat that question? What's your thoughts on Goldberg listening to Hogan and Nash and not wanting to do business with Jericho? Yeah, I mean, in general, it's it's turned out to be a bad move. Um, and I just, you know, I wrote that it's, it's super emblematic of the business in general that small guys have never really been given a chance. And it seems just recently, you know, cross our fingers that it'll keep happening, that smaller guys have been, have been given a chance. But... Um, I don't know. It's it's too bad. It's too bad because Jericho was, uh, even though it wasn't at the time my cup of tea, I really, he had go away heat for me. I didn't like him. But I realized that it was a really good character and it was really getting over with fans and, and people watching. Um, so it, it's too bad he didn't get, get, didn't get a chance. Do you feel like... If that's a jerk would have got a shot at Goldberg on a pay-per-view, do you feel like obviously Goldberg was going to go over and it's pretty much going to be a squash? Yeah. Let's say they had a match on pay-per-view or even a Nitro. Do you feel like that would have helped Jericho out even though even if they had a match? Well, I don't know. We don't know about this match. How do you know it's going to be a squash? Fair enough, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's fantasy booking, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, you don't know. And if if it would have been competitive, I'm sure it would have gotten a, given him a great rub. To be honest, I think just having him be there would have bumped him up. Even just getting the chance to have a match with him. Now this next next quote I'm excited about because earlier this week you sent me sent me a video <laughs> on on Twitter yeah. to watch. And we'll get to that. Let me get. Let me read this quote from page one seventy nine. In early November, former wrestler commentator Jesse Ventura was elected governor of Minnesota. Hogan and Ventura have been professional rivals for years, and now 
Jesse had finally accomplished something that Hogan could only dream about. Hogan, however, was un- undeterred and announced on Nitro that he, was, that he was running for President of the United States. The show ended up, be, ended up being crushed by Raw, with the WWF's biggest winning margin in history, a 5.03 to a 4.06. Worse, Hogan's segment was beaten 4.3 to 4.1 by Raw's Val Venus versus Steve Blackman in a battle of lifetime mid Carters. This was a super big blow for Hogan because he didn't attend the prior week's show. It was beaten in the ratings, and he wanted to convince people that his absence was the reason for the decline. This sure put an end to the theory in a hurry. Mm-hmm. So I guess I, I watched his presidential bid. I remember that. I guess as a history teacher, <laughs> yep. Beverly Hills. Yep. What's your thoughts overall? Years on our side. How do you grade Jesse Ventura's governorship of Minnesota? Um, <clears throat> you know, now looking back, like you said, years on our side. The more important thing is actually his election, um, and then that's no insult to him. Um, it was very tough for him to get anything done in his four years as governor Um, because as a political outsider, uh, he had no relationships with the congressmen and congresswomen in the House and Senate. So he had a really, really tough time getting anything accomplished. Um, That's why I'm saying, and that's not to discount, that's not to say that his... Uh, governorship was a um, was a failure because the fact is just showing that a third party candidate can win and can um, do something is a success and here's why this is what I I tell my kids with third parties and when we're teaching government and stuff Um, third parties aren't necessarily designed to win, even though in this case they did. For the most part, what third-party candidates are designed to do is to show the main two parties that what they're doing is wrong, (laughs) that they aren't succeeding, okay? Because, like, by Jesse winning, it showed the Democrats and the Republicans that their message wasn't reaching the young people and most people in Minnesota, like you saw in the video you watched, um, and that that re- it was a really good short documentary on on ESPN called "Shock the World." Um, he talked that a huge number, or that he said the ten percent that he won by was could basically be accounted by the 10% who hadn't voted. Well, because if, in, I, remember the, correct, yep, if I remember correctly from the video, I think normally up to 98, only about 50% of people who were able to vote voted, and I think 60% turned out yeah. to vote that year, and that's well, where yeah, the, it was like a it was like a 10% jump. It was like 57 to 67 or, or 47 like to 57 yeah. or something like that, and he won by 10%. So his... His explanation is that that increase in voter turnout is what caused him to win. I, so what I'm saying I is that, that like, I'm sorry, Beverly Hills, but I brought <laughs> that 10 percent to the polls, brother. Yeah, well, he did. 
and and that's what like we can learn from his candidacy and what hopefully the the people in in the subsequent almost 20 years now since is to see that their message wasn't reaching all of Minnesota and that Jesse had something that did and you know hopefully in the last 17 years they've done something to reach that 10% who hadn't voted and hadn't planned on voting yeah cuz I know talk with a shock the world video Jesse was talking about I think uh I can't remember who the Republican that he was running against but he was saying Norm Coleman yeah I thought it was Norm Coleman but he was saying about Norm Coleman being the way is quote unquote the perfect candidate you know with a perfect mm-hmm. smile and being well polished and just yeah. like what can I do to be something that's the complete opposite of the perfect politician <laughs> and, and sure in was. Norm Coleman and Jesse wanted to be rough on the edges, you know, be rough and gruff and, and all that. That's what it seemed like had the Minnesota residents vote for him because he was, in words of Jesse, he was upfront and honest on if he didn't know an answer, he was willing to admit that and willing to go go and do research to figure out that answer. Well, it's like I said, he, he played his, um, he played his outsidership as, you know, as a big thing. Um, and that he wasn't part of the political elite and he wasn't a politician. I'm going to go to St. Paul and we're going to deal with those politicians is basically what he said. So, yeah, yeah, that's what we've learned is that um, the at the time the current system was broken and they wanted, the people of Minnesota wanted something different. Also, I shook his hand while he was governor. Booyah. Lucky you. Mic drop. And, well, if you want to do mic drop and name drop, <laughs> I have this autograph go right Oh, brother. Nice. And nice. turn. I wish I was able to take the night off of work, but I wasn't able to. Jesse Ventura, after he put out his... Uh, his conspiracy theories book about the JFK assassination. He came to St. Club, Minnesota, to the Barnes and Noble, and did an autograph signing and did a little lecture about his book and all that. And <laughs> no Ma- way! Yeah, Mama D and Nate went went and heard his talk and brought my book with and got his autograph and all that. And <laughs> and for Jesse Ventura be- becoming our governor, I have to. Open up my mid-event status mail yellow forum. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! The picture of him on his Wikipedia page is ridiculous. I just went to it. He's got like such a long skullet. Dude needs to cut his hair. Well, I was looking at some pictures of Jesse this past week, and he had, you know, how Jericho had that ponytail goatee, yeah, and yes. how I grew one out, you know, like a couple years ago, just like Jericho. Ventura had a longer one, but instead of one ponytail, he had two ponytails. <laughs> Do you know what Jesse Ventura is? I'm down the Jesse Ventura Wikipedia rabbit hole. Do you know what Jesse Ventura's name is? James George Janos. Yeah. Huh. Well, I, you I didn't knew, know that? I, I knew that, but... Oh, nice. Sorry, brother. Well, that's funny. I, 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 did some, uh, I read some different books of Jesse Ventura back in high, high school, so I knew some of the off-the-wall stuff like that. <laughs> I guess James I also George want to get your Jones. thoughts on some of the bills he tried to pass and all that. Um, you know, he worked a lot for what would eventually become um our light rail. 
which goes in um, goes through the cities and has has really been a boon to the 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 metro area, but also a big cost. Couldn't get that passed, but he supported it. He supported um, some tax reform that didn't really get passed. He's supported gay rights. Which, which didn't didn't happen later. didn't happen then you know didn't happen during his four years but now, um, now it has now we have gay marriage in Minnesota, um so, on history is on his side, he was working toward things that have, um, gone come to fruition but at the time did not happen. To me, is it just me, but back in 98 with a bald look and a gray mustache, <laughs> is it me or did uh, Ventura look extremely old in 98? I get, I, he, he looked distinguished, Dirty Dog. Fair enough. I guess I want to get your thoughts on Hogan's presidential bid, quote-unquote. That <laughs> was terrible. I watched it. There were black and white streamers coming from the sky. I I remember it being such a big letdown because it was promised that he was going to have a big announcement, right? And the announcement that he's running for president. I was like, oh, this is... And to be honest, one of the biggest turnoffs of WCW for me was that night. And after that, I was kind of... Uh, a lot more lukewarm on WCW than I had been because, and I know it wasn't the first bait and switch they had done, but it was a really big bait and switch on me and I didn't like it. So yeah, I, I hated that. I guess, you know, you kind of talked about that in this supposed retirement angle. I guess yeah. what I want to get your thoughts on, do you, do you feel like Ventura, I guess, went up into him and becoming <laughs> governor? Do you think that hurt Hogan's ego in, in any sense? Well, sure, that's why he did it, is because he wanted to take some away from that. And, and then do you feel like us as American citizens would have voted Hogan in to the White House in 2000 if he no. actually did run for president? I don't think he would have gotten 200 votes. <laughs> Understandable. And, yeah, just, yeah, I... I would. I, I was just thinking, what would, what would the world be like if Hulk Hogan was our president, president, when in two thousand one and so Awful. on. Awful. Awful. Oh my god! I don't even want to think about it. That hurts my brain. Okay. I know. Kind of one last question about this before we move on, move off the topic. Since I feel like, since I respect, I respect your opinion, and I feel like you would be the best person in my circle to ask. Oh, nice. Ventura, I can't see this ever happening. I believe we talked about this before. But I want to get this on the record here on the podcast on Main Event Status Radio here on MainEventStatus.com. <laughs> if Jesse Ventura runs for president in 2016, two questions. Will he get elected? Do you feel like he'll get elected? And second question, if he gets elected, how would America be? Under his presidency. No, and worse off. Fair enough. <laughs> Sorry. That's, I, 
like I said, I respect your opinion since you're a history teacher and you're more <laughs> into you know politics and all that. And I just feel like you'd be the best person for me to ask who I respect. He's gone off the deep end in the last ten years, man. Yeah. He's insane. I, I agree with you on his conspiracy theories. He was on Talk is Jericho this past week oh, on, a Wednesday, no. on a Wednesday. And, well, you know I'm a conspiracy nut. Well, I, I, I like hearing about different conspiracies, and I like to entertain the thought of different things <laughs> as such. And it was interesting hearing Ventura's take on the JFK assassination, the 9-11 stuff, and we talked about this before and all that, but... Let's get into our next topic. I want to get your thoughts on Kevin Nash as a booker. Book himself to win the World War III 60-man battle royal to go on to face Goldberg at Starcade 1998. Yeah, I think one of the things you have to do is, <clears throat> if you're going to be an active wrestler booking, well, first off is not to do it because... Over the years, we've seen that that's been a bad idea. Going way back, you know, to Dusty Rhodes booking himself um, in the late 80s uh, to this, you know, uh, to to Nash here. Um, that's just a poor idea in general. But, you, you know, you need to kind of, like, divorce yourself from the main event scene and stuff. And he obviously had a very difficult... Uh, time of doing that um so yeah i don't know i mean nash nash was really hot at the time i remember especially my sister thought he was very hot at the time oh. but uh, <laughs> she thought the the big sexy moniker was quite true but um <laughs> but at the same time i don't know it's di- it's difficult, and I think it's difficult to run a company where you're putting yourself over. But like like you said, I agree fully agree with you on on having a wrestler or an active wrestler as a booker. It's nothing but bad news. Yeah, it's um, just tough. I, I can understand maybe having a retired wrestler. Yeah, on the booking team or the creative team, mm-hmm. but I don't think they should be actively wrestling. Right. And that'll, uh, I'm a, well, everybody knows I'm a subscriber to the Wrestling Observer podcast over at WrestlingObserver.com. And on May 21st of 2015 on the Wrestling Observer radio, a fellow listener emailed a question into Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez and are asking about a question about the finish of WCW Starcade 98. And I'll, I got permission from Brian Alvarez to play it here in the podcast. So, We'll get to it right here. And uh, finally here, Hugh says, your interview with Goldberg got me watching some old stuff on the network. I was wondering when the finish to Starcade 98 was presented to Goldberg, did he take some convincing to go through with it? I never heard of anything um, to it. I, you know, Goldberg, uh, you know, I, I would think that he probably wouldn't have been happy, but maybe they just convinced him that it was the best thing for him. And, and maybe he, you know, again, Bill had no savvy when it came to wrestling, and he'll be the first to admit that. You know, um, he didn't know what would work, what wouldn't work. He, I don't want to say he did as he was told because obviously he was supposed to uh, do a program with Jericho and, 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 and all that, and, and he completely refused that when the big guys told him that Jericho was too small to work with him, which was there's – a laugh, there's a laugh there given that 
the big guys never had the big guys who convinced him never had the career that Jericho had. But, um, yeah, the, um, yeah. So, so, um, I don't know. It was, I mean, I, it, it couldn't have been bad cause if it was bad. I would have heard about it and I didn't hear about it. I mean, it, they may have had to like explain it to him and convince him to a degree, but he never, it was never a big fight to get him to lose that match to Kevin Nash or to do that finish. Um, he may have been unhappy about it, but it wasn't unhappy enough to where he just refused, which, in fact, he did do with, with Jericho. No, Mr. Beverly Hills heard the clip from Dirty Dave Meltzer and, and beautiful Brian Alvarez over at WrestlingObserver.com. <laughs> you guys listen to the clip from Dynamite Dirty Dave. Dave. From Dirty Dave and beautiful Brian over at WrestlingObserver.com. Mr. Beverly Hills, what's your thoughts and reactions to that 90-second clip? Well, it, it was basically the as well. I guess I'm going to go over it, but you just listened to it. The que- yeah, the question just being: Did uh, Goldberg try to stop the the finish? Which let's talk about the finish. I guess um, Nash for or yeah, Nash versus Goldberg. <clears throat> They're fighting it out or whatever. A security guard comes to the ring with a uh, big shock stick, um, zaps Goldberg, and uh, Nash gets the victory here. Uh, the biggest show of the year, ending uh, Goldberg's streak, which I want to say was like... 176 and 0. 76, okay. I would say 193, yeah. so I was a little off. Yeah, 176 and 0. So, um, yeah, so, so the question was, did Goldberg try to... Uh, Nick's that and Dynamite Dave said no. So I don't know. Should he have tried to nix it? Probably. But <laughs> but I guess if Gilbert would have tried to nix it, would he have the the whole comedian stroke brother no. to what Nash had? No. Well Nash was the booker. So yeah. So I guess I want to get your thoughts on was it time to ha- have Goldberg lose? Yeah. Uh, gosh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. As we saw last year, you know, with ending the goal, uh, ending the undertaker streak, ending streaks is really hard. Um, and it's going to be a lot of, you know, second guessing or, or a lot of like, should we pull the trigger? Because it's a huge deal to to end it and it needs to be important and needs to have some weight to it um so i don't know i don't know i yeah i guess your shirts are too tight too billy if they would have if they wanted to keep goldberg losing at starcade i don't know if kevin ash was the right person to have beat goldberg i felt like it would have been awesome to if they would have built up this would be foresight in long-term booking, and WCW wasn't doing that. But it would have been awesome if they would have known, okay, we want to build somebody up to beat Goldberg at Starcade or whenever it's ready to have Goldberg lose. Yeah. And I can understand it. I can understand wanting to have a former world champion and a mid-eventer go in, as in Kevin Nash, go in and beat Goldberg. But kind of in, tied in with you know the Undertaker streak at losing at WrestleMania 30 to Brock. Kevin Nash didn't need the rub of ending Goldberg's streak. Yeah, yeah, and right. Neither did Hogan. 
you know, as Hogan really wanted to do when he lost the title to Goldberg back in July on, on July 6th. Uh-huh. But I guess I just felt like, you know, they should have built, should have tried to figure out building Jericho up, building whoever else up to see what sticked with the fans. And when it was time to have Goldberg take his first L, yeah. they have a couple of guys who they can try to get that rub to. And if that guy that you know, beat Goldberg didn't work out, they can go to somebody else. They can go back to Nash. They can go back to Hogan or whoever else who, if that guy wasn't working as the new champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know. It's it's such a just, like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, like you said, are we giving it to a person who's too big or whatever, who isn't getting a rub? But then at the same point, if you give it to an up-and-comer and they don't pan out, well, what was the use of giving it to them? You know, so... Uh, it's, it's, it's hard tricky. to say. It's tricky. That do you feel like Goldberg, in a way, is jobbing out to that cattle prod? Hurt <laughs> Goldberg out in any at all? Yes. Yes. In, in a... You can't even say how much it hurt him. I think that did more damage to the Goldberg character and the Goldberg persona than anything while well, up until Russo's booking did. That was such a, oh, that's so bad. And I mean, I don't know how you have him lose, if you have him lose clean or if you have him uh, do a banana peel type thing. But I think that was such a pull the rug out from underneath the fans who um, wanted and deserved more from that. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on the year that was 1998 if it, in regards to WCW, in regards to pro wrestling, in regards to politics, <laughs> or overall thoughts on the year that was 1998? Um, you know, again, it's... Uh, this is, like I said, 97 was the year of squandered opportunity. So is 98. Um, because it, it they squandered the sting opportunity at the beginning of the year. And they squandered the Goldberg uh, opportunity at the end of the year, seemingly because of egos. And uh, it's really disappointing. I felt like the 1998 year was a year of the bald guys. <laughs> because it was the year that Stone Cold Steve Austin won the world title in the World Wrestling Federation. 1998 was the year where Goldberg won the world title in World Championship Wrestling, brother. Yeah. It was the year that Jesse Ventura took Minnesota <laughs> and shocked the world. Mind. But I guess, yeah, that's just my overall thoughts. I just thought it was funny that <laughs> three bald guys, I guess, uh, I guess the three bald Man, their cream rose to the top. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, that I just thought, uh, I just thought that was interesting. That yeah, it was cool that ways to see in both companies that they're trying to give a new guy a chance with, to run with the title, for better or for worse. Yeah. However, like we, like they said though, they really screwed the pooch on that one. Yeah, it's sad to see. Another year go down, and seemingly, seemingly they dropped the ball. Yeah, had Starkhead for another year in a row. I just hope they don't do that in '99, but we'll see. Well, we sure will, man. 
So we might as well get into the plugs for the podcast. I already plugged it before, but I'll plug it again. MadeEventStatus.com. That's our website. Check us out there. Listen to us. Bookmark us. MadeEventStatus.com. Also, another website is SoundCloud.com slash MadeEventStatusRadio. All one word. Again, it's SoundCloud.com slash MadeEventStatusRadio. Mr. Beverly Hills. There's, there's the third way to listen to us. I <laughs> no. always forget it. What is it, Mr. Beverly Hills? Uh, that, that would be to subscribe to us on iTunes. And what do I always ask in regards to iTunes? Uh, Subs- I don't know. Subscribe <laughs> rate, to us. Rate, subscribe, rate, comment. Because we are tired of... Oh, yeah. Oh, God, about that saucy attitude. <laughs> hashtag saucy attitude. Uh, hashtag stuff. That's, uh, that was uh, my highlight attitude. this past week. <laughs> Waking up, checking my phone, getting a tweet about from somebody on the Twitter at Beverly Hills MES <laughs> saying, hey, Dirty Dog, I'm tired of hashtag saucy attitude at JRSBBQ. <laughs> Yep, yep, I did. I just, he came up on my feet and I go, oh God, this is my chance to talk about that freaking saucy attitude. Hashtag saucy, hashtag saucy attitude. I am happy that something that I just randomly thought up of on on one edition of the podcast is fairly trending on Twitter a little bit. So, yeah, guys can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, write us, review us. Let us move up the charts on iTunes Podcast Library because we want to beat Jim Ross's Ross Report because we're tired of his saucy attitude, Daddy-O. Yes, we are. We, you guys can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Radio. That's all one word. Like our SoundCloud page, facebook.com slash Radio. Mr. Beverly Hills, how can they interact with you on the Twitter machine? At, just as as Mr. Dog said earlier, at Beverly Hills M-E-S. And you guys can hit me up just like Mr. Beverly Hills did this past week on the Twitter machine. <laughs> at Dirty Dog M-E-S. That's dog as in D-A-W-G. Dirty Dog M-E-S on the Twitter and for Mr. Beverly Hills, I'm the Dirty Dog Darcy. We'll catch you guys next time in 1999. Shock the world! Ladies and gentlemen, that is fantastic. That is our show, ladies and gentlemen.